So not everyone is going to love what you're putting out all the time and that's just part of the job. And so you have to develop a really thick skin to deal with the feedback that is constant and then to take the feedback that's positive and just enjoy that when it's there as well. Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I'm your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart, and each episode I sit down with a guest to ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them that they take to a desert island, aka beauty island, that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the product that reminds them of their mum, the one that defined their teens, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. I am so excited to share today's episode with you with my guest, Genevieve Day, founder of influencer management agency, Day Management. After a successful career in PR, Jen was just 24 when she spotted a gap in the market and went out on her own to launch her own business. Now, Day Management reps some of Australia's top influencer talent and is the first in Australia to launch a podcast arm. Jen is one of the most go-getting and driven people I have ever met. And if you're interested or curious about influencer culture, as an expert in the field, Jen is upfront and honest in her answers to all the questions you've secretly been wondering but were too afraid to ask. I went to Day Management's offices in Melbourne to chat to Jen about how much influencers can really earn, how the landscape has changed since she launched Day Management and what the future may look like, and the $19 black eyeliner that will give you flawless wings. She also shares a really beautiful and poignant personal story that reminds us all why beauty is about so much more than just products. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to the podcast if you're not already, rate five stars, and if you have a spare few seconds, write a review. Now over to Jen. Enjoy. Jen, welcome to Beauty Island. Now, you were born in Victoria, Melbourne. I was actually born in Perth, but I grew up in Melbourne. It's a little fact that no one knows about me. So there you go, there's your scoop. (laughs) And how old were you when you moved to Melbourne? I was five and all my family is from Melbourne. So I don't really count it, but I do still barrack for the West Coast Eagles. (laughs) An important point to note. (laughs) What was your first memory of beauty? So I think, as so many people would say as well, it kind of comes from watching your mum getting ready. And I have these really vivid memories um, growing up. My mum's this wonderful kind of refined lady. And so she would go to the opera on a Saturday night with my dad. And that was like a traditional night out for them and so she would get ready in like a beautiful long dress and she'd be you know blow drying her hair and putting on heaps of makeup and I would often go to her bathroom and like sit with her and just watch her and it was such an amazing thing to watch and it's funny I think I can always like remember the sounds of her getting ready throughout the house as well no matter where you were you could hear the hairdryer going I could hear like the clips and the clacks of the makeup like opening and closing as well and so I can kind of see and hear her and I think I can even remember the smell of her J'adore perfume as well, which is quite a strong fragrance that a lot of mums use. But yeah, that kind of is my first memory of beauty, having it applied in a really special way for a special night out. 
And I love how vivid those memories are, even when you're describing them with the sounds and the smells. Yeah, it's crazy how you can still yeah hear it and smell it. It really takes you back to that moment. I've read a few interviews and listened to a few interviews that you've done. And one thing that really stood out to me was it seems like you have always been very focused and very driven into what you wanted to do, even in high school. Did you always yes. have a very specific plan of what you wanted to do? Yeah, absolutely. And that plan changed, um, but I was always on a path. I was quite into academics in high school. I was really involved in the performing arts as well. So I was dance captain and I did all the high school musicals and was singer in the jazz band. But yeah, I was always really focused on my studies and that was really important to me um, and kind of getting the best score possible. And then from there, I didn't want to waste any time. So I didn't take any gap years or any breaks. And I started working in a PR agency when I was 18. So I kind of Yeah, I went straight from high school into my degree at RMIT and I interned at a PR company and I continued working there part-time when I studied full-time, which was a lot to handle as a little young kid looking back. Um, And yeah, I kind of went from that role in the PR company from an intern to an account manager to a senior account manager and I stayed there for five and a half years. So that was kind of a progression there, but I I really loved it and I was so sold on being this career gal. And you mentioned obviously involved in dance and performing arts. I always think that's really interesting because obviously you have quite an early introduction to not only makeup but stage makeup as well. Oh, abs- And they're so different as well. And people, it's quite funny, I'll be getting ready with my girlfriends for a night out and you'll just put on a winged eyeliner and everyone's like, oh, how did you know how to do that? And you're like, oh, you did sport growing up. That's the difference. I did dancing. And obviously stage makeup has to be really thick and has to give you the appearance um, on you know, this crazy stage lighting that you have cheekbones still and that you have actual lips. So they make it really heavy and, yeah, definitely not for the lighthearted, I guess. And you mentioned, obviously, you worked and, and studied, studied professional communications with a major in public relations, mm-hmm. but... You did mention in an interview that the alternative career you briefly toyed with was as a celebrity journalist for OK Magazine. I've always loved entertainment and I've always, I think, read those magazines growing up. They were so prolific in my childhood. Um, My sister is five years older than me, so I'd often steal her grown-up magazines, which is like a Cleo to my dolly. Um, And I always love a bit of trashy celebrity gossip. So I did kind of toy with that idea. Um, And it's kind of fun to be creative and write about your passions. But I'm thankful I didn't go down that pathway because I doubt that I would have had much longevity into it. Now, the second product on your list following on from J'adore Dior is also kind of linked. The first makeup and beauty products that you owned were kind of some of your mum's hand-me-downs. Yes. (laughs) And then you moved on to the drugstore makeup, Maybelline Mascara. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that kind of early collection. It's so funny looking back to like the early 2000s and when I was in early high school and I was wearing makeup every single day from year seven, which was not allowed in my high school, but I did it anyway. Um, And it was like that great lash mascara that everybody had in the bright pink bottle and it was just like your L'Oreal foundations and it probably wasn't matched very evenly to my skin tone but those are like my first memories of buying makeup and I'd go to Priceline and my friends and I would spend such a long time in those aisles like trying everything because we just loved playing around with it and expressing ourselves in that way. You were interning and working at a PR firm while you were still studying, Mm -hmm. ended up working your way up from intern to senior account manager. Can you tell me about those those early years in your career? What what were you doing? Was it as glamorous as you know, Samantha Jones and Sex in the City <laughs> makes it out to be. Yeah, I mean, I think at the time I thought it was really glamorous and it, it wasn't. It's a lot of, like, you know, menial labour and, you know, packing up press kits and you're doing a lot of the hard work that people are delegating to you, which is fine because it's great to get your hands dirty and I think you learn so much that way as well. Like, you learn so much by working 
you know, at the bottom and starting there and seeing the processes. So it was a lot of, yeah, packing up press kits to go out to the media. This is a time before influencers. So it was sent to the Herald Sun and the Age and everything. And then I got to do some copywriting jobs for them, for the clients. And then from there, they were kind of like, okay, you can actually write these, let's try out a press release. And then I kind of worked up the tasks there and started helping out more and more and doing a campaign approach um, and then managing, you know, these massive clients like we worked with a whole range of five-star hotel chains around the world and those were my leading clients towards the end of my career there so it was really cool to see that progression as well of starting out doing the real menial tasks and getting coffee and running around but at the time I loved it and I felt really special to be a part of it even from day one. I speak to a lot of beauty editors on this podcast so Mm. we hear about that side of these glamorous events can you tell me a bit more about what goes on behind the scenes to kind of put these events on when you're involved? Yeah absolutely and it is a lot of pre-planning that I think people don't always see or hear about Um, so people will go into these client events with just a concept and then we have to bring it to life and that might mean from you know making sure it looks beautiful and that the invitations are perfect the date doesn't clash with anything that the guest list is curated perfectly as well and then making sure people actually get there and then the coverage generating that from the event so there's a whole lot to plan before the event even happens and then there's a post wrap report and making sure on the night everything runs smoothly and there's so much that's out of your control in PR as well like you can't help but if it rains that night and people don't want to come to your event so many moving parts yeah. that go on to make it seem as effortless as it as it does mm. now the third product on your list is the one that or the two that defined your teenage years which are the thin Lizzie bronzer and the tan fake tanner tell me about those two yes I think they both speak a lot about most teenage girls years and their experience with fake tan and you'll see me today I'm so pale like my I'm porcelain and that's okay and I think it makes two of us don't yeah (laughs) we're gonna age so well so growing up I would fake tan a lot just because it's what everybody did and you'd look um to people on tv and you know at the time the OC was the biggest show that ever was and they're all bronzed on California Beach so I'll apply fake tan so and I didn't apply it well this is also a time before tanning mitts were around so you just kind of had to give it a go and hope for the best so yeah it was a lot of orange days then in my teenage years and then we all I don't know if this happened outside of my high school but thin Lizzie bronzer was like a cult product it all my all my girlfriends had it and you had to buy it in like this random pack from the chemist and it came with like three bronzers and an eyeliner in there and it's actually really great. I still use it a little bit. And the brushes that come with it are amazing. But that just, yeah, defines it completely because we would put on so much of it. And we wouldn't use it to just define our cheekbones. It would go all over our face and all over our necks and, you know, stain your school dress and the collar. It's such a good point because I feel like now people are a lot more educated about where bronzer goes. But I yes. feel like when we were younger, it was, it was an all over your face product. No one taught us this. There wasn't YouTube around like that for people to give us lessons on this. We had to just figure it out and hope for the best. And yeah, thank goodness also Facebook wasn't around until I was like in year 11 or 12. So there's no you know, scientific evidence that I looked worse than this, but I definitely did. And are you a fake tanner now? I'm for key events. So I'm very fortunate in my job that I get to go to really fun events like the Spring Racing Carnival and the Portsy Polo. And so for those events, I will fake tan, but I definitely have toned it down a notch. I'm not going to go as dark as I might like to. Um, I still think it can be really flattering to have a tan, but I'm not one of those girls that does it like every Thursday for the weekend. I don't have the time for the maintenance or I don't prioritise it, I should say. And I think as you get older, you start to embrace the skin that you're in. Um, And a lot of people want to have beautiful porcelain skin and it will age really well. And I am a big believer in whatever you're given, you've got to make that work for you. So I'm just kind of embracing the pale skin.
Now, you launched Day Management, which is an influencer management agency in 2015. I think you were just 24. I was 24. Talk to me first about what the landscape was like back then compared to now. Yeah, it was so different and it's still evolving all the time, which is great because it shows that we got into the industry at a really perfect time, but we had a lot less to work with and a lot less to sell. So for example, Instagram as a platform wasn't established as it is today for business. So you couldn't have a business profile, which means you didn't have access to a lot of the back end data and analytics. So we're kind of flying blind a little bit where we knew it could work, but we couldn't really prove it um, as much as we could now. We had third party websites we could use to prove where our audiences were located and the kind of response rates to sponsored posts but a lot of it we had to knock on doors and just tell these brands to trust us and try and get them to believe in influencer marketing in a time where influencers were new and it was a bit of a scary world for these brands asking you know to be given money to fork out for these sponsorships they weren't sure how it's going to go so it was a tough time to launch in that sense but it was great because no one else was really doing what I was doing and I think that it was a really great time because all these top talent didn't have management because that was kind of a new idea in itself as well. So I got to really handpick the best people who I wanted to work with that were all free agents at that time and then build this agency from scratch. But today, a lot of brands you know, come to us wanting to do campaigns and people understand the value in it and it's only ever growing and brands are devoting more and more of their marketing budget to influencer marketing. So it's definitely was a great time to get into it for us, but it's a lot easier to do it now. And as you said, this was kind of very reasonably earlier on in the whole influencing mm-hmm. sphere. 2015. 2015, which doesn't seem that long, long ago. <laughs> what was the catalyst for going out on your own? And obviously you, you, you spotted that there was something there before everyone else was doing it. We were doing these PR events and activations and activities, like I mentioned, and we had a PR report for this. And we were inviting bloggers at the time along to experience things with our clients and they'd do an Instagram post. And we would equate a monetary figure to that in a PR value but we weren't paying them. And that's where I kind of first saw the gap in the sense that these amazing bloggers and influencers weren't charging anything. And this is even like the likes of Nadia Bartel would come in and not charge anything to go to your restaurant and post a photo there. And it just seemed really crazy to me that, yeah, they weren't quite sure how to monetize this. And I already had the connections given my job. I was quite friendly with a lot of the influencers. So I kind of just saw this massive gap in the market. And I'd been at my job, like I mentioned, for five and a half years. I kind of come to the end of my progression there. And they were a more traditional PR firm. So they were looking more towards traditional print media and not as focused on social and digital. And I kind of really saw the direction shifting and changing. And I just kind of thought it was now or never and I had to make the leap. You had the brilliant idea. You had the connections. You had the experience. But Mm. as anyone knows... Building a business is not easy. So what were, what were kind of the first year or two like? Yeah, it's almost funny. I think the first year I kind of took it a little bit easier on myself than I do now. I'd been working, like I said, my whole life, my whole adult life, and I had never taken a break. Like I took no holidays in PR and I take, take very few now. <laughs> but I kind of allowed myself to enjoy freelance life. I let myself enjoy the fact that I didn't have to go to the office every single day. I was working from home at that point in time. I didn't have any staff yet. And so I kind of let myself just enjoy it that first year in the sense that I could work from a cafe that day or I could go to all the fun events because I didn't have to be at the office at 7am the next morning. But yeah, it's super hard and it's a skill set you don't learn until you do it. And it's great to learn on the job and I'm so much stronger now because of it. And I think that because there's no one else you can turn to, like the buck stops with you. You have to just put out the fires yourself and figure it out. You just learn to do that. And so it's just invaluable experience. 
whether now it's kind of funny I'm back to the same environment I was when I left my job where we're in a, you know, a big team in the office every single day. So it's definitely evolved and shifted, but I'm so thankful that it hasn't been too hard a journey and it's definitely paid off. Now, the next two products on your list are the, the one that gives you a confidence boost and then tied to that, the one that gives you your signature look, which yeah. you did touch on before. So we've got the Estee Double Wear Foundation mm-hmm. and Winged Liner. And forgive me, I've read this brand, but I've never said it out loud. Is it me? Yeah, it's Mina, Mina. but Mina. it's written with like a three. Yeah. So it's really hard to pronounce. I actually went to an event for them and that's how I know how to pronounce it. And it's where I got this eyeliner. So yeah. I'm very fortunate again in my job that I get to receive quite a few beauty products. And I kind of stumbled across both of these through just connections in the industry that I had. And I've really struggled to find a good foundation for my skin type. I'm quite um, oily skin and I have really rosy cheeks. So I need a bit of coverage to cover that up. And so when I found Double double Wear Foundation, I was like, this is it. This is for me. I love this. And I've just been repurchasing it ever since. And I kind of refer to it as my wall paint. And I wear it every single day, even if it's a weekend or whatever it is. I just, my confidence goes through the roof once I'm kind of put together in that sense. And I really think that when I've got a bit of concealer on, a bit of foundation on and some, you know, mascara, that's all it takes. And it just boosts my confidence levels astronomically. And then to go for a signature look, I kind of referred before to the dance concerts and you learn how to do an, a winged eyeliner. And I'm wearing one today. But and it looks flawless, perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is the Mina eyeliner. Um, it's because it's like a little texture, which is why it's so good. It's so easy to use. It takes you like 10 seconds on each eye just to flick it out and give yourself a little something something. What is the hardest part of your job? Ooh, I think being the middleman is what a manager or an agent is you have to try and keep everybody happy and that is just in life hard and in business even harder I think you can be a bit of a punching bag sometimes between the two between the brand and the talent and you have to try and learn how to communicate to different needs and wants and that can be really really tricky and sometimes it can be a case of changing your approach to each of them Um, you know empathizing with the talent that a brand might not want to do exactly what their creative goal is or that, you know, their aesthetic might be. And then something with um, the brand that the talent won't do it the exact way that they're being told to. And so it's kind of learning how to manoeuvre that and finesse situations to make everybody feel like that they've won. And that can be really, really tricky. And there are days I don't succeed at that. And there are days where everyone is happy and it's okay. And I'm just the one that's a bit unhappy about it. But yeah, I think that's kind of being a middleman in any environment is always tricky, but we try and walk away, leaving everybody satisfied with the outcome. And and with that, obviously the crux of your job is to have those difficult conversations about money and sales and things mm-hmm. that some people find difficult to talk about. Is that something with your PR and, and salesy kind of background that has always come quite naturally to you or has it been something yeah. that you've had to improve or work on? I think I've always been a hustler. Like I've never been afraid of those hard conversations. I've never shied away from that. And so that's been really great and fortunate in my role. Um, and I think to me, it's just facts. It's not about emotion. And that's why I can kind of look at these tough conversations and just approach it with the facts in mind. So we have, you know, that's their cost. Here's a reason why they're priced as such because of their follower count or their engagement and their performance or, you know, who they are as a person, as a talent. And so we kind of approach it in that way. And then you can't really argue with facts. You can disagree with them. That's that's totally fine. But yeah, I think if we look at it without any emotion in it. It makes it a lot easier. And that's where I try and approach everything, even with the talent as well, where it can be a lot more emotional. You just try and, you know, take the emotion out of it, pale it back and just look at the facts and try and make it work. That's really good advice for 
that can be applied to a lot of things in, in work and business. So that's really, really great. And it's tough. I mean, it takes a long time to get a thick skin. And I used to be so affected by any feedback or any criticism. And it, sometimes it's constructive. Sometimes people just have opinions. And what we work on in Instagram in particular, like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So not everyone is going to love what you're putting out all the time. And that's just part of the job. And so you have to develop a really thick skin to deal with the feedback that is constant and then to take the feedback that's positive and just enjoy that when it's there as well. And we've talked about, or we've used the word influencer a fair bit throughout this this episode already. And I'm really interested in your thoughts on the term influencer because I've heard that you kind of have an alternative phrase that you, yes. that you prefer. So tell me about that because I think it's really important. Yeah. So I think when we started, it was traditionally bloggers then it moved to influencers in around 2016, 17. And then in the last year or so, we've kind of shifted our approach to be working with people with influence. And that's how we try and design our agency and who we're working with because in a world where influencers are so saturated and there are so many people who are out there just to be an influencer we kind of look for more than that so our talent are those who have a whole lot of substance behind it they've got something else to offer they're a name within themselves and that gives them influence so that might come from a TV show that they've done. They've grown an audience through that. They could be podcasters. They could be media personalities. There's a whole range of avenues that gives them that influence. You have incredible talent in your books. You cover podcasts, health and lifestyle, fashion, Thank family. You. And you've touched on what you kind of look for. But what I also think is really interesting is we're seeing the shift with brands in marketing and advertising as well, is that mm-hmm. it's not enough just to be creating something. You have to stand for something as well. Yeah. And I think someone that stands out and disclaimer, I used to work with these people, but Michelle and Zara of Shameless yes. seem like a really good example of that, of creating great content and also using that influence to speak for something. Do you see that shifting in the influencer space as well? Definitely. And I think the Shameless Girls are incredible. I'm so fortunate to work with them. And it's only been since January that we've worked with them, but it's just, yeah, what a crazy wild ride it's been already that is exploding. And exactly that, the reason they're exploding is because they have substance behind them and they're speaking to the people and they're speaking to women in an intelligent way and they're not talking down to their audience. And I think a lot of influencers in the beginning stages, not mine obviously, but they would kind of talk down to their audience and just try and flog things and sell them and they would just be flip-flopping on brands and you know, consumers are smart and you have to play to them in that sense and you have to be able to communicate with them in an authentic way and in a way that you know honors the fact that if they're going out and buying something and parting with their cash you've got to stand behind that product choice and then influencers in themselves their brand ambassadors their personalities they need to stand for something to stand out in the crowd i mean without getting into specifics when you you think about the talent that you have and the brands that are approaching you to work with a talent i imagine it must be quite both you and the talent would be very cautious about making sure that the collaborations are the best fit yeah absolutely and to be honest we say no to so many jobs and it's hard because in the beginning when I didn't have that financial freedom to say no to everything it was a really tough choice to make because I'd gone you know full-time working for myself I'd quit my full-time job I was living out of home and we had these jobs come in and if they're a little bit questionable but the money's good it's really tempting and so I can understand why people do those jobs like the skinny meaties and the you know the hair gummies and everything like that but for us now we're in it for the long game and you need to be thinking in the long term with what you're promoting and so 
if you're flip-flopping with brands, if you're aligning yourselves with a brand and their competitor, it's not authentic. If you are promoting something that could have a negative connotation to your audience or about an issue that you stand for, if it's not being body positive or, you know, it's, for example, Sarah Holloway runs a vegan cafe. So she doesn't attend the races because of, you know, people with animal activists are protesting there. So it wouldn't align with her brand. And that's just about being conscious about the message you're putting out there all the time. And then how do you commercially align that? And that's kind of what my job is. It's bringing in the commercial aspect. And I never really interfere with what the talent do or what they do best, especially like with the Shameless Girls is a great example. I'm not going to go in and say, oh, can you interview this person and can you ask them these five questions and talk about this today in your podcast because they've built this incredible audience for what they do well. I'm not going to ever interfere with that. I'm going to help sell it and commercialize it and then monetize it. It's like what you said, consumers are savvy. I mean, I feel like I've seen a few examples of influencers who will, like you said, one month be promoting one product, a few months later, the competitors and Mm. people are onto it like that. You just can't get away with it. Yeah, and they almost love being like little detectives as well. (laughs) Like the consumers love that. Like, hang on a second. You talked about head and shoulders shampoo, but you went to this really fancy salon and you got a professional shampoo. What are you doing there? And so you just have to either own the mistake and be like look this is my full-time job I'm promoting products I do believe in the product but I do use a few or you have to just stand by one or two and I think it's getting easier for us because brands are leaning more towards long-term partnerships and ambassador roles so they'll sign on for like a six to 12 month retainer in which case we'll just work with that brand for the whole year and it means we can't work with their competitors and it you know removes the temptation to do so and I think as well, like a lot of my talent, about 90% of them do it full time. This is their full time job. And so you have to understand that they need to make an income as well and make a living. And they do that by promoting products on social media. So while we want to be smart about it and make sure it's all aligned with their brand, at the same time, they still need to make money sometimes. So yeah, it is walking that line and trying to make sure it's not too gray, but it's also not very black and white. We've talked about your talent. Now I want to briefly talk about kind of you as a talent because you have kind of become an expert in your sphere. And it's clear from many people, I mean, you were featured in the Australian Financial Review not that long ago. (laughs) Thank you. You've got newspapers and, and people, media coming to you for your perspective and insight on the industry. And I feel like we've seen it in the UK and also in Australia in terms of, say, people who used to be the stylists behind the scenes are coming out Mm. as influencers in their own right. We know how important personal brand is, particularly in the industry you're in. Do you ever see yourself making the transition to a person of influence yourself? I mean, it's almost being a successful woman in business with the social media thing makes you kind of an influencer anyway. Oh, that's very nice of you to say so. To be honest, no, I don't think so. And I think that I always will stand behind day management and I don't want to be the talent myself. I think that anyone who runs a company exposure is so important and I'll always do things like this amazing podcast um, and the interviews with you know the AFR and the Herald Sun. I'm happy to speak as an expert in the industry and I'll always be you know talking about it in that sense as opposed to myself where I try and position it that way. I don't want to ever be seen as like the talent taking over from my own talent as well or kind of blurring the lines there so I think that it's so valuable for my agency and for yeah day management as a position in the industry which can be quite competitive I do have a lot of competitors out there and I'm very lucky in a sense that my background has given me the opportunities where media outlets do turn to me for comments so I'll always say yes to those kind of things but I don't know I don't think that I want that pressure of being an influencer myself and 
I get to work with them all and see behind the scenes. There's so much pressure on them. They have to look amazing and say the right things all the time and share a lot about their personal life, but not too much that it's, you know, going to piss off brands. And yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing to do. And I think people underestimate how hard it is to be an influencer. And so I feel quite fortunate that I can, on my personal Instagram, share my work wins and then not post for a week and a half. And I kind of like that. You know, I'll put up things about work and I'll get hundreds of likes on them. I only have like 4,000 followers, so that's a lot for me. But I'll put up something about, you know, me and my boyfriend at home and no one cares. <laughs> and that's awesome. I'm like, how good that I can have that just for me. So it's, yeah, I'm always happy to be seen as like a business authority in the industry, but I don't think that I ever want to be an influencer. And speaking of your boyfriend, the sixth product on your list is the perfume that holds a special memory for you. Can you tell me what it is and the story behind it? Yes. So it is Byredo Gypsy Water. I'm wearing it today and I'm sure you get this answer all the time. It's a very popular perfume. And I think it's funny in my industry, it was almost the perfume that was used in like every flat lay. Like it's such an Instagram famous product. And back in like 2016, when everyone would do the flat lays, it was like meticulously measured out in black and white monochrome. It was always in there. So I kind of knew about it before I even smelt it. But it's my favorite perfume because it was the first gift that my boyfriend Patrick ever gave to me. And I also never buy perfume for myself. I'm one of those weird people. For me, it's just like annoyingly expensive. I'll happily buy a Chanel handbag, but I'm like, oh, 200 bucks on a perfume. Don't know about that. So it was Christmas time and I've been dating Pat for a few months. We're still quite fresh. And it was our first kind of big gift giving opportunity for each other. And my housemate worked at Mecca at the time. And he was like messaging her, like, what do I get the girl that has everything? And I don't know what to do. Like, what should I give her for Christmas? And so he, yeah, ended up getting me this massive gypsy water perfume. And he also got me a, like a baseball cap with day management embroidered on there. They're really so cute. cute. Yeah, he's the best. And it was the first time that he told me that he loved me that night as well. So it was kind of a nice little moment and I still have it actually. So many beautiful memories tied to that. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's interesting what you mentioned as well. Perfume is bloody expensive. Yeah. And sometimes it's also nice to have that extra layer of it's a perfume that you really love but it's made special because of the person that gave it to you. Yeah, absolutely. And so since then, he's given me perfume for every like birthday and Christmas because he knows <laughs> I buy everything else myself if I want it, which is really annoying to everybody who's trying to give me a gift. But he knows I'm never going to buy myself perfume. So he's like, it's a safe bet. I'm going to make sure you have hundreds of perfumes. You're a few years into day management. Do more people get what you do now in terms of like your parents and your family? <laughs> I think so. I think all the articles help out a little bit. They're still a little bit unsure. Influencer is such a buzzword in the media at the moment, especially. So they definitely understand what an influencer is. And I kind of simplify it for people by explaining it. Like I just promote products on social media or I connect influencers with brands to commercialize that relationship. So yeah, it's, it's a very new age job and I totally get that. And like my dad's a doctor and my mum's a teacher. So for them, it's kind of out of this world that I'm doing this new age Instagram promotion. But I think in the industry, it's so much more recognized and it's definitely required in every single campaign, which is great. And you mentioned before, obviously, a lot of people who are doing keep going to say influencer are we allowed to say influencer? yeah absolutely of course who are influencers it has become their full-time job mm -hmm. um, and I'm interested given 
your your insight into the behind the scenes. Um, you mentioned in the great podcast episode you did with the Daily Talk Show um, about how, in terms of the figures that people are getting in Australia, mm-hmm. is quite small com- compared to when you go to bigger markets like America. But I mean, what kind of and I, you, you go to the other end of like the Kardashians who can command you know at least six figures yeah, for an Instagram ridiculous. post. What kind of ballpark are we talking for the average Australian influencer? I mean, it depends on the kind of brands you want to work with and it depends on the quantity as well. So I have some talent who are making 20 grand a month. I'll never say who, but yeah, and they can work with a whole range of brands. So obviously like FMCG products, so fast moving consumer goods is things that you can get in a supermarket, for example. They have more of a budget to spend on influencers and their brands that aren't as cool or sexy. So they need to give more of that budget to convince influencers to work with them as opposed to like a really amazing fashion brand can pay a little bit less. So I think if you are happy to work with those type of brands, you can be making, and obviously depending on your follow account, but you know, $5,000 for a post. In America, it's like double that. And it's in USD as well. So it's a whole different ball game. And it's just different than obviously they have more audience growth. There's more people there. So we're a smaller market here for sure. But there's definitely amazing potential to make a really great living out of this. And it just honestly, it just keeps on growing and growing. We're up like 40% from last year. And I think the year before that, we grew like 55%. So it's definitely not slowing down, which is amazing. And I think now you have more choice in the types of brands you want to work with. So you can be really niche and just do makeup products and beauty brands, or you can work in the lifestyle umbrella, which means you can do, you know, hair, beauty, fashion, travel insurance, a bank, yeah, Woolworths, whatever you want to do. The opportunities are endless. The seventh product on your list is the beauty products you use to treat yourself, which are the sheet face mask oh, yeah. and the pure nose strips. Yes. Tell me about this. It's funny. I was listening to your podcast and everyone says these like incredible serums to treat themselves. <laughs> and mine are the most like basic white girl response to this. Um, so I'm recently obsessed with, it's I think Biore, like the nose strip things you put on, you like rip out all your pores. It's probably really bad for your skin. <laughs> but to me, it's like the guilty pleasure of my beauty routine. And it's something that I think I love it because it's a little bit gross and that's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, that is like I'm home on the couch. I've ordered Uber Eats. I'm watching something on Netflix. I'm putting on a nose strip. Like I'm not leaving the house tonight. That to me is all about like self-indulgence and treating myself. And then if I have something special and I'll do a sheet mask and I do use Estee Lauder. I think it's the advanced night repair in the sheet mask. And it's really cool because it looks like the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. It's like a tin foil appeal to it. And it's just amazing. It makes you look, it kind of reverses every like second of sleep that I've lost working and makes me look a lot less tired, which is amazing. And speaking of being busy, (laughs) if you weren't busy enough with your main job, I noticed or I've heard you've also started a little side business, which is creator jewelry, (laughs) selling earrings, necklaces, and the current hottest accessory, which is just everywhere, hair clips. Yes, so many hair clips. What sparked that? So I took some time off over Christmas and I took the two weeks off just not working. Everyone kind of shuts down in my industry then, which is great. And I got really bored and I was like why would I have time off that's ridiculous and I kind of started seeing around spring racing carnival these hair clips everywhere so I just decided to start a little passion project a little side hustle and it really is nothing more than me wanting to be a bit creative as well and I think I've been doing this for four years now and 
my role in day management has shifted a lot from being in the ground, in the trenches, you know, at the photo shoots to a lot more being the manager. And I've got four staff and I do a lot now in the admin side of things and the spreadsheets and crunching numbers. So it's kind of, it was just to inject a little bit more fun back into it and to give me that creative outlet. So it's been, yeah, happening since about January. And I think we've sold like 300 hair clips, something crazy. It's interesting because you have talked about it in, I read the interview that you did with The Cool Career. Mm -hmm. And then also you touched on it earlier on. You went from high school to uni to full-time work to launching your own business without kind of taking a break or a massive breather. Is that something that you would like to do at some point? It's hard because when the momentum is here, I don't want to break it. And I think when the industry is growing at this rate and there are so many opportunities right now, I would hate to step away and then miss out and I'm I'm very type A and I'm very competitive and it's just I guess I enjoy it as well like I love what I do and I love working in this industry and I think I get so much enjoyment out of landing a big campaign maybe not the same equivalent to taking a break but I think like people love traveling that's awesome I love landing campaigns and get my talent on billboards like that could be the same equivalent to me I think so I definitely think need to take more holidays. I actually have, I do have one coming up, which is the first time in a couple of years I'm taking two weeks off to go to America. Yeah, so that'll be really good. And I took some days off over Easter. Like I didn't work on the public holidays, which for me is massive. But I think, yeah, down the track when the company's set up a little bit more in the structure and I might have some more staff involved, I can step away and take a break. But I think, and this is kind of a tip to anyone in business, like if the momentum is there and the jobs are there, you have to roll with that because it might end at any second. Like what if Instagram implodes tomorrow? We can't be sure. So yeah, just taking advantage of what's here and I'll sleep later. As we've mentioned, you obviously have incredible work ethic and drive just in your core, just instilled <laughs> Thank in you. you. Has there been a particular person or people who you feel has really shaped you into that, either personally or professionally? Yeah, I mean, growing up definitely had that in the household. We, My entire family extended and immediate family we're just all hard workers um my sister is a lawyer for google wow my dad is a neurophysiologist Uh, (laughs) yeah very cool it's funny people are like wow you must be like the shooting star of your family i'm like nope we're all like this but no it's great like and think growing up my dad he would work really crazy hours and he would then come home and go to the study and work some more and that was just the norm and you kind of get to an age where you're like, okay, cool, I can have all these nice things and I'm very blessed. I can go to a private school and have this beautiful house because he works really hard. And so I then, yeah, equated hard work and success with the things that I might want in life and knew that if I wanted those things, I had to work hard to get there. So that was definitely like the model that was, you know, within my life from a really early age. And I think some of it is just, yeah, in my being. I've always wanted to be good and I've always wanted to be great. Yeah, that just kind of has been a fire in my belly that kept me going. Who is someone who has really shaped your idea of beauty? So I think a lot of people will give this answer as well, but it would definitely be my mum. I think that she really showed me how beauty and makeup can be used to empower how you're feeling and empower women and how beauty is just confidence and confidence is beauty. And I think that I definitely learned this. So in high school, my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer and she had to go through 12 months of treatment. And that was six months of chemotherapy and six months of radiotherapy, which it is amazing medicine because she is alive and well today and she's still fabulous. And that was, yeah, 13 years ago. So I don't want to make it a sad story, but 
the treatments definitely strip you of a lot. So she lost all of her hair and she lost all of her eyebrows and her eyelashes and you get really nauseous and you get really fatigued. So you don't really have that beautiful glow in your skin. And so she kind of had to learn how to approach skincare and beauty with a whole new look and a whole new face and everything. And I was speaking to her about this before this interview. I was getting her permission to kind of share her side of the story. And she was explaining to me that she had this amazing makeup class that is put on for free through this incredible foundation called Look Good, Feel Better. And they people donate beauty items and makeup items and they hold these classes and they kind of teach you how to do your makeup when you don't have any eyebrows left and how you can shape your face when you don't feel anything close to your best. And it was really great to kind of hear her speak about that and how she used makeup then to empower herself in a situation where she could have been perceived as the victim and then to kind of watch her at the time apply her makeup and get ready and face the world and she put on this fabulous wig that she got that looked exactly like her hair beforehand and she would you know put on her eyebrows with an eyebrow pencil and she would go out and face the world and not be seen as a victim but by just looking like herself again and I think I learned a lot then about how much of this confidence comes from within and how makeup especially can help you feel like yourself and present the best version of yourself. Thank you so much to you and your mum for sharing that because I think that goes absolutely into the core of what beauty should be. A lot of people think it's about superficial and aesthetics, about just Mm. products. It's not. It's about, like you said, making you feel like yourself. So Yeah, exactly. Thank you. The final product on your list is the your holy grail or greatest discovery product, which you kind of touched on before, which is the Estee Lauder Advanced Night Repair. Mm-hmm. Now, is this in the mask or is this the serum? This is the serum. Oh, it's so good. And again, I had a meeting with Estee Lauder and I was very blessed that she gave me a little like takeaway pack and I didn't realize how expensive it was until I Googled it afterwards and I was like, oh my God. This is so good. I think in my job, I have to do a lot of like late nights sometimes and you have to go to these amazing events like yeah, Spring Racing Carnival and the Portsea Polo and Fashion Week. And sometimes business meetings don't happen on a Tuesday. Sometimes, you know, at lunchtime, sometimes they happen at a boozy dinner that goes until 2 a.m. And that's just part of the job. Like you just have to be there and you have to show up. And it means that you do lose a bit of sleep because of that. You can't really have the same routine that some other, you know, nine to fivers might get. So I find that this product is just so good at restoring my face when I'm feeling really tired and run down, which happens a lot. And yeah, it just works wonders, especially as I'm getting towards 30. It kind of just helps those fine lines that are popping up more and more and just makes me look more restored. What is your big goal with day management? What's next? See, this is such a tough question. So we just launched the podcast arm this year and I'm going to say we're Australia's first influencer agency to do so. I can't see anyone else doing it. I'm not sure, but we'll say that Australia's first. Um, So that was really big, I think, for the company to recognize what's next in the industry. And we always try and be, you know, trailblazers and really setting the tone for our competitors as well and showing these brands what's next and how they can best use their marketing budget to cut through to consumers. So that was really exciting for us. I'm actually not sure what's next. I think I used to be a really crazy planner and have like the five-year plan and things to do before I'm 30 and everything like that. And it just doesn't play out that way, especially in this fast-paced environment where things are changing all the time and they happen so quickly and you have to just be agile. I find if I had a really rigid plan, I wouldn't be able to be as agile. 
So instead, I kind of keep my finger on the pulse and keep on looking around me and seeing what's happening, what are the changes, how can I move and grow with this? And that's kind of what's next for us. So now you've talked us through the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for you. And now I'm going to ask you, some people think this is the hardest question, <laughs> which is to pick, if you could take just one of these products you've spoken about to Beauty Arnold, it doesn't have to be practical. I'm giving you sunscreen. Oh, thank goodness. Just one to keep you company that will give you the most pleasure which one will you take see this is so hard this is yeah a really really hard question i'm so glad you've given us sunscreen as mentioned porcelain skin (laughs) um oh see if i am i alone on the beauty island yes okay because if there are other people around i take the foundation for sure yep like i said before it's kind of like my war paint i wear it every single day so i do love the foundation Maybe if it's just me, I just take the serum because it's kind of a nice like restorative before bed routine that kind of adds some lux into your life. It's really interesting seeing the products that people pick because so many go for the good skin. And I love that it's really important, but it's also hilarious because no one is going to see the skin apart from you. It shows how important that is about how it makes you feel. Yeah, I I think if it's just me in that island, I'll choose the serum. I'll have beautiful glowing skin with plenty of sunscreen. And then if anyone else rocks up, I'll quickly swim to shore and buy some double wear (laughs) foundation. (laughs) Sounds like a plan, Jen. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It has been a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beauty Island. You can find all the details of where to find Jen and the products she's spoken about in the show notes. And if you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty BTS or send me an email, beautyislandpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>